Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by reporter Jacob Rudner. Jacob, how are you doing today? Doing swell, Ethan. Good to be on. Also joined by reporter Carson Breber. Carson, how are you doing today? I am excellent, Ethan. Thank you. And also joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Ethan. Good to be with you guys. Awesome. Today, we're going to be talking about ASU's rather embarrassing homecoming loss, 34-21 to against the Washington State Cougars on Saturday at Sun Devil Stadium. They turned the ball over five times, including four of those in the first half. ASU is now 5-3 and three on the season and 3-2 and two in the Pac-12. The only good news really coming out of this week was Darian Butler was announced as a semifinalist for the Butkus Award, which is given to the nation's top collegiate linebacker at the FBS level. So he's considered to be one of the top 16 linebackers at the FBS level this season. But first, we'll just go to initial takeaways from this one. Jacob, we'll go to you first. What did you see from this one? Yeah, I mean, you you used the word a, a second ago that I think is most fitting, and it was just embarrassing. I think that ASU had a, a very good opportunity, as we discussed a week ago, to really do itself a favor in the Pac-12 South standings and at a minimum keep itself in a position to be tied with four games remaining in the season, and it wasn't able to do that. I mean, this was one of those games, like we had said, that everything seemed to match up perfectly for ASU and it wasn't able to capitalize really in any of those facets, whether that was, you know, keeping the maintaining possession and avoiding turnovers, whether that was avoiding penalties, uh, being able to stop Washington state's passing attack, being able to run the ball effectively into a point where it was going to be able to win the game. It didn't really deliver in any of the, in, in those areas. And I just think that it was one of those performances where there was a serious lack of urgency for a team that needed to demonstrate a lot more of that, particularly given the fact that before the season, many of its players were saying Rose Bowl or bust for this team. This was not a performance that indicated Rose Bowl or bust is the mentality in Arizona State's locker room. Absolutely. And just to further emphasize the opportunity that was lost, they were given a gift with Utah losing to Oregon State the week prior. They had a bye week to get themselves prepared and had a reasonable opportunity if the team played up to its potential as far as talent and experience to go out there and still win a Pac-12 South title because Utah would still have to host Oregon and ASU is the more talented team on in all of its four games remaining. So there was an opportunity there, obviously massively squandered, self-inflicted errors, destroyed the team yet again. And it just continues to be a story of inconsistency and of, again, not living up to potential due to things that are within the control of a program that have just been mismanaged and botched on several too many occasions this year. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that something is, there's disconnect. Something's not really getting through, not working in the way that it's supposed to work. Um, you have all this talk about how important things are, what they're trying to achieve, the things that they need to do in order to, to accomplish their goals. And then you see pretty consistently that it doesn't happen. It, you take out the, um, you know, the, the games against bad opponents, Southern Utah, UNLV and ASU pretty much one out of every two games is having this monumental uh, failure. And it, it, it's, it's really on both sides, primarily on offense, I would say. And in this game, the turnovers really just took them out of any sort of rhythm or uh, or ability to execute their entire game plan, probably that they had coming in to the game. And uh, we're going to get into all of the sort of details of it, but you know the, the the overall sort of sentiment would be 
it's just really disappointing uh, for ASU fans to have to go through something like this, given how much potential that there was for this team in the season. Yeah, and, and in terms of getting into the details, I, I talked about it right at the open, Carson, about five turnovers, four of them in the first half. What did you see about the turnovers? You had a story after the game talking about those turnovers, but what else can you elaborate on? It was really the story of the game from the opening kickoff. You have two turnovers on your first three plays from scrimmage offensively, both of which looked to be first down plays, a screen to Diamante Trainum, and then a completion to Brian Thompson, and they both result in fumbles. And obviously, that is going to hurt you in every aspect because not only are you taking your offense out of rhythm, you're deflating confidence, you're giving the ball to your opponent, you're giving the ball to your opponent in favorable field position, you're putting additional pressure on your defense. Like It just becomes this brutal, self-fulfilling cycle, and ASU just could not get out of that. Three fumbles on the day, two interceptions, and when you enter a game as overwhelming favorites, that's kind of frankly, the best way to beat yourself is if you're just going to give the ball away five times. And it's just uncharacteristic of what this ASU team had been because last year under Herm, they had double the takeaways that they did turnovers, basically same the year before that. And this year, it hasn't been quite that smooth. The BYU game was ugly, but this was just a really brutal performance. And the fumbles were a major issue. Jaden Daniels expressed frustration because he said that ASU had prepared for that aspect of Washington State's defense. They were aware that they were a ball-hungry group, that they were going to try to punch it out and force turnovers, and yet they still had the three fumbles. But he also forced really an unnecessary throw on a first down when ASU was moving the ball. And it's not like ASU actually had tremendous difficulty moving the ball and finding success offensively in this game when they weren't turning it over. All three of their fumbles came on significant gains of 13 yards or more that interception again came when they had been moving the ball down the field. And then the other one was just sort of an anomaly where Jaden Daniels is under pressure for the third consecutive play. And he just forces the issue and tries to make too much happen. So you can give some credit to Washington state's defense for again, playing that kind of aggressive fly to the ball, try to punch it out style. Cause there were even a couple more plays in this game that could have been fumbles possibly, and obviously weren't. But it's just inexcusable. If you're aware of that strength, you have to prepare for that. It doesn't excuse the two interceptions thrown as well. And you just can't open the game by shooting yourself in the foot and giving yourself zero chance to get going offensively. And that's exactly what ASU did in this one. And then by the time that they had cleaned it up a little bit, the hole that they had dug was too deep and there was just no way to come back. Yeah, and what I would say is there's skill development issues that are at play here. So for example, Trainum's fumble, the first one of the game for ASU, he was holding the ball in the wrong arm. You're taught as a running back, move the ball to your outside arm. That's where you, that's where if the ball gets knocked out, it's more likely to go out of bounds, right? So he's running this play to the left. He's got his ball in the right hand. That's the only place where the Washington State defender who stripped it could have ripped the ball out. So that is a fundamental teaching aspect that Trainum was not adhering to, okay? And then when you look at what happened in the Daniels interception, uh, 
it's a half field concept. He's running right. He threw to the third worst receiving option on the play. He had two wide open targets and he threw back across the field to where two defensive players have the ability to get to the ball. Yes, it was intercepted by one, but also who was a man defender against Johnny Wilson on that crossing route. But then also the safety was lurking right there and he was within a finger length or two from being able to get to that ball as well. Uh, and so, and these are the types of things when that happens on a first down, when Trainum's run was on what would have been a first down, they're, they're moving the ball, as Carson said, quite easily. And they are illustrations of really fundamental breakdowns from a, a guy's not doing what they're taught to do or it not being uh, imprinted on their minds enough, the importance of needing to do it. Some of that, some of the same stuff happened in other ways. So for example, remember when Trayanum uh, got the carry on fourth and one and he took the ball outside. Well, you're never going to be able to get the ball around the edge against Washington State in that situation. It's, there was an opportunity for him to just drop his pads and hammer his way on the inside for probably a yard. I think he would have been able to get the first down when I watched the play again. So I, I just see, um, I, I see not enough adherence to the type of teaching that is happening and should be happening and even more. And those are the things that in a game like this very easily had proved to be the difference. Yeah. And, and you talk about, that type of stuff. We've also talked about throughout the year, just the problem of penalties and organizationally kind of what has been the downfall of this team at points this season, Jacob, maybe not as many penalties in this game, but also there were times where it seemed to be in really, really important situations that it didn't really matter that there weren't as much. Correct. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned it, that ASU only had six penalties for 35 yards in this game. It's tied for the second fewest total penalties in a game this season. But the penalties that it had were extremely costly. And it came at times that, you know, put the team in situations where it made it very difficult to convert third downs or it took away points. For example, uh, on a field goal attempt, ASU had a chip shot field goal. Christians and Deja set up for an easy kick. He kicks it. There's a flag on the play. Ball goes through. They have to re-kick. This one's from over 30 yards. And he misses the field goal attempt. So ASU creates the situation where Zendejas, and, and we've discussed as well that the team's kicking situation is not, you know, all that reliable, where they have to kick it again. Uh, it, you know, Chase Lucas had a defensive holding in the end zone that gave Washington State a first and goal, and it was on third and goal, and it was a situation where he really probably didn't need to commit the holding penalty. It wasn't like he was badly beat. It was, a, it was a situation where he probably could have gotten away with not doing that. But he does, and Washington State ends up scoring. Uh, Darian Butler in the first quarter, Washington State's first touchdown, a direct byproduct of a penalty. He commits a face mask on a Max Borgie run on third and one. Borgie was stopped short with the face mask penalty. It's half the distance to the goal. Washington State gets the ball at the ASU six and ends up scoring three plays later to take a 7 nothing lead. Uh, offensively, ASU committed two third down uh, penalties. Ben Scott had a holding on third and 17. Uh, sorry, to set up a third and 17. Daniel Nagata 
then fumbles after a screen pass. He gets 13 yards and turns the ball over. So, you know, was the volume of penalties equivalent to that of other performances for ASU this season? No. But in terms of the overall impact of undisciplined play and the team committing penalties, this had to have been up there with some of its worst performances because, again, you don't necessarily need the volume when you're going to commit penalties that take away points or put your team in, you know, disadvantageous situations. And let's add on top of that the fact that this was a home game where you don't have that typical crowd noise, you know, uh, environment that creates a lot more possibilities for procedural problems on offense. And um, on top of that, I would say that they happened when ASU could afford them least to happen, which is when things are kind of going bad for you and you're down a touchdown, two touchdowns, three touchdowns in the first half, and you need to switch the momentum by getting some points, getting a stop, getting a conversion. Uh, all, all of those things um, didn't happen because of their inability to execute. And that's been a pretty consistent theme for this team this season. Um, so at this point, why would we expect really there to be too much change? I think when you're eight games in, you kind of are what you are. And yeah, they didn't have a 13 penalty, 16 penalty performance that you would typically have on the road, but it still wasn't a good performance from a discipline standpoint. And especially when they needed to have one uh, that was disciplined, the, the Butler penalty was costly. The Tyler Johnson one took points off the board. Chase Lucas took turn what probably would have been a field goal attempt into, into a touchdown. I mean, that's, that's a lot right there. You know, and the, the, the putting yourself in a third and 17 instead of a third and seven, um, ASU is not good enough to have those things on top of guys dropping balls like Brian Thompson dropping a touchdown, um, his fumble that he also had, and so many more sort of self-inflicted mistakes that, um, when you, when you put that on top of five turnovers and what, what really chance do you have? Yeah. And the thing that the thing I should say that kind of stands out to me when you said that is, is why would you really expect anything different? And Carson, when you expect people to change, as Chris said, you maybe wouldn't expect, you maybe look towards coaches or maybe you look towards leadership and the past week or two, that's something that's been a large part of the press conferences. They've talked a lot about leadership probably didn't pan out the way they thought it would. Absolutely. And I think that obviously you identify culture leadership as key aspects in a talented team like this continuing to fall short. And that is just kind of the irony of it is that after that Utah loss, which was obviously brutal for an ASU team that up to that point had kind of been rolling and they were controlling their own destiny. You have the bye week to gather yourself. Herm Edwards talked about how he sent out a letter to all of the leaders of the team talking about what he expected of them. We heard from several captains who said, hey, this has to be the turning point. This is a moment in which we all come together. We rally and we figure it out. And obviously that just wasn't the case. And we saw Jaden Daniels come out and say in the postgame presser after the Washington State game that ASU just had not handled adversity well. And you cannot come out of uh, what is your worst half of football, maybe of the Herm Edwards era and blow a 21-7 lead against Utah 
and then allow 28 straight points to open your next game. Like that is just backbreaking stuff. And uh, the leadership was a point of emphasis. Obviously, you're put in a compromised position where leadership can only do so much if you're down that big early. But nevertheless, we just did not see a reflection of, hey, this is a team that has really taken this moment to come together and improve itself in that respect. And that was, again, a major point of emphasis. So that continues to be an area in which the team kind of needs to prove itself because you can only have so many points in the year where you say, okay, this is the point that we need to come together and figure it out. This is the point now that we need to come together and figure it out. And ASU's had a couple of those moments already. And now the Pac-12 South is no longer under their own control. They're coming off of two really ugly losses and they only have four weeks remaining. So there just isn't a whole ton of time to get it together in that same way. Yeah, and really with some of the leaders who made some of the most costly plays. You look at Darian Butler getting a face mask on a third down stop in the red zone. You look at Jaden Daniels throwing an interception when ASU is clearly driving on first down. Uh, Brian Thompson's played a lot of Pac-12 football. He fumbles the ball, loses it. Um, and where is the, the calibration to what coaches are talking to their players about? So if Zach Hill says after the game, yeah, we knew that they were good at stripping the ball. They're one of the best in the country. And, and Jane Daniel says, yeah, we knew we, we talked all week about, uh, you know, make sure that we don't get the ball taken away from us. And then you get the ball stripped on what, like, two of your first three plays or whatever it is, and you have turnovers on your first three possessions, um, you know, there's a disconnect. You're missing what really was being stressed to your team. And I see some guys trying to step up and be vocal leaders. Ricky Pearsall had an, a nice conversion and he was trying to hype up the guys on offense, but I don't see enough of it on that side of the ball in particular. And then even on defense, you look at Jack Jones giving up a big play touchdown, Chase Lucas giving up a big play. You look at Chase Lucas having a holding call in the end zone. Um, he had back-to-back. That was the, that holding call was after he had just given up a big completion on a well-thrown ball. Yeah, uh, Jane Delora and Washington State receivers, they did a really good job in this game. Uh, and – it wasn't like the coverage on some of those were bad, but it's your your key veteran guys needing to step up and make plays and then rally your teammates. S- same thing with Tyler Johnson on the false start penalty on the field goal. He, these guys have played a lot of football, and they can't be doing these sorts of things. And, and, and also, um, you need to find ways to lift yourself up on the sideline and have guys hold each other accountable when things are breaking down. And I don't think there's really been enough of that either in the last two games. And that's the leadership in terms of the players stepping up. But throughout the game, Jacob, especially when they were down a couple touchdowns, there was questioning in terms of coaching and in terms of the aggressiveness that they had being down that much and just the plays they kind of decided to run. Yeah, I would go as far as to say that there was a glaring lack of of aggression throughout this entire game from ASU's coaches and in, especially in situations where they really needed to be uber aggressive. They needed to go for things like fourth and two 
at your own 44 when you're down three scores instead of punting the ball on what ended up being a touchback. You need to not let the clock run out at the end of the first quarter when you're trailing by two scores and you're trying to catch a team that has clearly outplayed you in every facet through just 15 minutes. I also would say that there were other opportunities that ASU should have been able to create knowing what we know about this team, and it didn't do that. There needed to be more shot plays throughout the game, particularly in the second half. You're getting blown out. I mean, it was, it was fairly clear by halftime what was going to be the most likely result of this game. And if you're ASU, you need to do something to try and you know, punch Washington State in the mouth out of the halftime break and try and stun them to get back into the game. And that just never came. It never happened. So I think that, you know, throughout this entire game, there needed to just be more from ASU. It needed to be, uh, I don't know if riskier is the right word, but more aggressive, certainly. And uh, it just never, it never came to be. They did convert a a fourth and six uh, to Bunkley Shelton in early in the game. So, and that was, that was, well on to Washington state side of the field. So it kind of made sense because they were in no man's land as far as kicking a field goal or punting in that situation. But absolutely at the end of the first quarter, they let 20 seconds run off the clock while they were lined up and and not running a play. You need every play you can get at that point. Did they think really that they were going to, have some lead that they were going to be trying to nurse at the end of the game in, in, in this game. It doesn't make any sense. Yes, it is true that when you take a timeout, you can get a nice play in and, and run it. And they did have a, a completion to Ricky Pearsall for a big gain on the first play of the second quarter. But man, just run the ball for five yards, four yards. You know, I just, I don't really get that. And I, I think that what happens is, when you have an ultra conservative head coach, which Herm Edwards absolutely is, and you have this exceedingly stoic offensive coordinator in, in who's very sort of cerebral and, and almost dispassionate in Zach Hill, that, that sort of uh, emotional state confers onto your team. So it's not really a surprise that they're not out there letting it rip and, and, and swing and high energy and all that stuff, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And there's no doubt that in this game, they needed to try to start to, to, to make the game looser, to open it up more, to get it into a, a track meet. And they really weren't able to do that. Even when you look at coming out of halftime, they were not really successful at opening the game up when it was very clear at that point that they hundred percent needed to. So, and, and, and that just goes maybe kind of to your disposition and how your team is built. And Herm Edwards has always been since he's been at ASU and probably throughout his whole career. If you're keeping close in the fourth quarter, you got a chance. Well, that seeps into every crevice of who you are culturally and ASU really has not shown an ability other than a couple games last year at the end of the season against bad Oregon state and Arizona teams to really open it up and just rip teams out. And they needed to do it and they didn't have the ability to even at home uh, in this, in this game where 
they had everything really on the line. Yeah, it was, as we've talked about a couple of times, it was a loss that was rather embarrassing. We just talked about all of this stuff. And a lot of the stuff that we just talked about was included in the column you wrote, Chris, about the overall status of this program. So I just want to give you some time to give kind of your final thoughts in terms of maybe some of the stuff you said in the column and just what you think after this game. Well, look, what we really haven't even gotten to yet in this podcast that's really extensively in the column is how right that this opportunity really was for ASU. Herm Edwards is not going to get a more advantageous situation than this season. Look at it. He, ASU doesn't play Oregon. That's the only ranked team in the conference, right? Uh, Jane Daniels is the top rated quarterback in the conference on pro football focus. And ASU has the most experienced veteran defense in the conference. Well, what, what more do you need, right? You, you look at what happened at the outset of Pac-12 play this year. Arizona and Colorado are worthless. That's a third of the South irrelevant. ASU is one of the other four teams in the South. So that's literally, that's half the South. The other half, you have UCLA has already lost three games. People are getting really antsy about wanting to fire Chip Kelly. USC already fired its head coach and is plodding through a very mediocre season. And then you have Utah, which ASU actually led at halftime by two touchdowns just a few weeks ago before falling apart in the 28-0 loss. ASU is not less talented than Utah, but they don't execute as well as Utah. They're probably not as well coached as Utah. And even after losing that game, because Utah lost to, to Oregon State, ASU was tied in the South and still in a very good overall position. Well, then you're 16-point favorites at home in a game that you have to win, and your head coach comes out and says, maybe they took being at home for granted. Well, how can that happen? Like, how, what did all these guys come back for? ASU has reportedly the second most super seniors of any team in the country, right? What, what, are, they, what are they here for? What, what is the whole purpose? You can't lose to Washington State and they'd be like, oh, okay, now we're going to get it together for our final four games. Maybe they do, but they've already wasted this huge opportunity. And it's hard to imagine that it's going to get any better for Herm Edwards because you have this NCAA investigation that's looming and that makes recruiting really hard. You have three of your coaches on suspension related to that matter. You have Antonio Pierce not being able to do everything in recruiting that he's always done. You have the scrutiny that's on under the program. You have uh, other PAC 12 coaching staffs that are going to use this and point to this as, Hey, look, ASU had their best opportunity. They blew it and they got the NCAA matter. Their coaching staff might not even be there. Why would you go there? It's easy to recruit against ASU right now. So it's not, there's not going to be a better opportunity. And that's why the fans bailed on this team. They were gone. Like there was more Washington State fans in, in the stadium by the fourth quarter than there were ASU fans. And how do you really get them back at this point? Because the team is not reliable. You don't really have any sort of ability to trust that they're going to come out and play well or perform when they need to. And so, and now this is one of these things where you had the pandemic, 
a lot of people weren't in the in in, in the you know nobody's in the stadium and they play a, they play a four game season they go two and two the the expectations were set so high by Ray Anderson unrealistically high if we're being honest when he said upon firing Todd Graham four years ago that ASU should be a top 15 team and a top three team consistently in the Pac-12. Well, that they're not a top 25 team. They haven't been once under Herm Edwards. And there's no reason to think that that's coming down the pike anytime soon. So there's a lot of disappointment and discouragement, especially when this year looks so promising and they've squandered it. And it's just a really sad place to be for ASU fans who are now um, about as frustrated as I've seen in, in a long time. Frustrated, as you said, probably for good reason. And while that was rather some not as good news, we do have good news in terms of there'll be a lot of content throughout this week because basketball season is coming up at the same time as this football season is winding down to the close. So that was the Sun O's Source Report podcast. We were talking about that game against Washington State and that loss. Make sure you look out for an abridged upon further review about that game. Also, a first look will be coming up by Carson about USC. We'll also have our preview podcast for USC as well. We're also going to be looking to do a basketball season preview podcast that should come out soon. There's also the column that Chris wrote if you want to look deeper into what he was just discussing. And ASU football returns to action on Saturday against USC on ESPN. So as I said, there'll be a preview podcast for that and a bunch of content leading up to that as well. But for now, for Jacob Rudner, Carson Brever, and Chris Cartman, I'm Ethan Ryder. We'll see you guys next time.